Hey everybody, welcome to episode 21 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me as always is Collins Mullen. Uh, but we've also got a special guest today who we'll introduce in a second, but Collins, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good, how you doing? Not bad, not bad. I unfortunately was very far away for the Invitational this weekend, so I just got to watch it instead of uh, being there. How did that go? For me, uh, kind of like a medium medium tournament. I actually didn't even make day two of the Invitational itself. I went two and two in both formats day one, uh, so I ended up playing and min-caching the, the Open the next day with humans. So, but it was a pretty great weekend. You know, I had some friends who had exceptional results, so I think that was more exciting than anything else. I think in a way, if you, you know, if you've got teammates or friends doing really well, that's kind of like more exciting and you kind of like get to feel like a spectator even though you're at the event, which is something something to be said about that for sure. Yeah, it is always fun to see your friends do well. Um, and that's a it's a pretty good transition. I I, I, <laughs> I like what you did there. Um, yeah. Our special guest today, and actually Rio, I'm gonna I'm gonna screw up your last name. I'm sorry. I don't think I actually know how to pronounce it. Um, but hanging out with us today, um, we've got the youngest Invitational top eight competitor in SCG Tour history, Rio Trevathan. Just to like introduce you guys to him a little bit. Rio is awesome. He plays at Atomic Empire, uh, the store that Collins and I uh, usually play Magic at. Yeah, uh, he's a lot better than I was when I was 13 years old. Is is the main thing that I can say. Oh, in, yeah, insanely better for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. So he's here. So hey, Rio, what's up, man? Hey, Chris, how are you? Yeah, man. Congratulations. That that's really sick. Uh, I think that you're officially better than me because I certainly haven't top aided uh, an invitational. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a pretty huge deal, you know. Rio Rio's been playing Magic at our local shop for a while now, and you know we've always kind of known that he was like really good, particularly playing at such a young age and and still having results. I remember he like top eight at a classic, I guess a couple months ago or something, and that was kind of when we knew it was like, all right, this kid's going places. Um, and he just kind of he kind of nailed that when when he put up the top eight result for this weekend. I I, th- I think that weekend. I top aided the open, and you and Rio both top aided the classics. So that was that was a nice weekend. For, it was a good uh, weekend for us. Yeah, it was a great yeah. weekend for sure. Yeah, Rio's playing Burn back then in Modern, and he's kind of stuck with it. You like that deck so far? Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing about Burn is sometimes it's kind of miserable to play, but it's still the deck I feel most comfortable <laughs> with. I tried playing Titan Shift. Evidently, I'm a really bad Titan Shift player. I don't know how, so I just stuck with what I felt comfortable with and played Burn. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said about sticking with the deck that you are the most comfortable with in, in kind of whatever format that you're playing. I wouldn't say that, you know, you're a bad Titan Shift player, but you definitely picked it up in kind of like a time where Modern had just started to shift its focus to Titan Shift. So, you know, I, I played a lot of Titan Shift as well back then, and I had to just kind of drop it because I, I felt like it wasn't... Did I not tell you about the match against Danny Jessup where I summoners packed for Steve when I had all my basics out? I accidentally sat out of forest. I had no red green lands, so I died on my next upkeep. Oh, you did tell oh, me God. about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll happen. You know, everybody makes mistakes like that. I've definitely looked pretty silly on some Titan Shift turns where I, like, forgot that I, you know, didn't have a mountain in my deck or something like that. You know, it, it's just bound to come up for sure. Those numbers things where you're like keeping track of exactly what's left in your deck. I mean, those are the ones that practice with the deck absolutely rewards. So I don't yeah. think that means you're a bad Titan Shift player. It probably just means you needed to play it a little bit more. I, I know the thing is like I know the math. I whenever I cast Escape Shift, I like check my deck to be sure I'm not gonna kill myself. Uh, but <laughs> this is that one time I just completely forgot. I was so excited to beat Danny Jessup again. I was like, all right. Again, this, again. I'm gonna kill him, and then I realized that I couldn't. Yeah. Wait, when did you when did you beat Danny Jessup before? Yeah, I was on burn, and like it was the first time in the entire tournament I missed an Eidolon trigger, so I was sure that I wasn't gonna lose a match because of that, and then I two owed him. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you kind of got the drive after missing that, and we're like, all right, we're not messing up anymore. Yeah. You're 13 years old, so how old were you when you picked up Burn for the first time? I think I think that's the main question that the people want answered. 12. So um, a year ago? Less. It was in... My first tournament with Burn was when I top 32 the Baltimore Open. 
uh, in May, late May. That was your first uh, open that you played in? Uh, it was, yes, it was my first open. I'd played in a couple Grand Prix before, but mm-hmm. my first open, my first tournament with Burn, I think I played it like one Thursday Night Modern at Atomic. Yeah, that's just kind of like our local Thursday night local tournament. It's really competitive for a local tournament. Yeah, I mean our local shop, I think, is is definitely one of the one of the better places to be for for magic. Or just kind of like even like this this the triangle region in, in North Carolina, we've got some really, really sharp players. For sure, yeah. Definitely definitely a good environment to uh, you know, to test things out and everything. Yeah, and, and Atomic's like Thursday night Thursday night modern in particular. Like you can't just go and expect to win. I mean, I guess Collins, you you had at least a reasonable streak of going and expecting to win, but most people well, yeah, can't, I mean, can't quite pull that off. <laughs> no, not even me. Like you know, I'll go and you know, I think going five zero is still a, a, an accomplishment that you don't really expect to have. You know, I, I definitely had a bunch of four ones or whatever, but being able to five zero those things is, is something that I always kind of like went for. You know, definitely no expectations there. My best streak at Thursday Night Moderns was actually before I was like really transitioning to being a competitive player. I played through the breach, and I think that deck was just insanely well positioned at Atomic. So I did pretty well with that deck for a while. Since I mean, I have I've won a couple times since, but nothing grand. Mm-hmm. So how did you start transitioning towards like becoming a more competitive player? Because that when I was your age and playing Magic, like that was never on my radar like the grown-ups beat me because they were grown-ups and i just kind of accepted that like it, it took until i got quite a bit older until i was like like almost in college before i was like this is dumb like let's play the real decks and let's play the real cards and spend a little bit of money on magic and maybe we'll do better but obviously you were way ahead of the curve when it came to that so how did you start deciding like i'm gonna i'm gonna play competitive magic a big thing for me was that i, I like when i started playing like when i started picking up good decks uh i'd already been playing casual for a long time so i had a long time just to just to play casual not really play in any tournaments uh play with my dad build bad decks that we thought were good uh (laughs) it was a lot of fun but eventually i just i started to understand the game faster and better and so i decided that i wanted to start playing in tournaments uh, I built a standard deck for it. I played in one tournament. I realized that I had registered too few lands. And I went 0-4. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I like didn't play Constructed again for a while. It's definitely not standard. <laughs> so I played in a couple drafts. I was pretty bad. But it was all like Friday night stuff. I got to the point where I started playing Modern. I had like a... My first deck was technically a deck that wasn't even legal because it ran four dig through time. <laughs> Uh, then I built Elves. I played in uh, PBDQ. I won my first round and then lost five straight to a respectable one in five finish. After that, playing as Control, and I wanted to play Control like all young noobs should. So I picked up Grixis Control. I kind of brewed most of it, and I went to a GP with it. I ended four and five. Wasn't horrible for my first gp especially considering i was playing a homebrewed control list yeah that's that's real hard to do if you don't have a lot of the experience under your belt trying to come up with all the right answers so i that was um grand prix charlotte it was the most miserable tournament because something got messed up with the software for pairings bad enough because we ended at like midnight but also i was two and three on my like elimination round and i played against a five and oh player (laughs) Yeah, and yeah. it was the control mirror. We, we finally remember this Grand Prix as a Grand Prix tire fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, it so, was not a good one. <laughs> I, I lost the control mirror to Jess Guy, and as soon as I did that, I was like, "Jess Guy, sweet deck." So then I bought Jess Guy, uh, cause that's what noobs do. They like lose to a deck, and they're like, "I like that deck," and then they buy the deck. Mm-hmm. So I played with that. I went to another GB on my birthday. That one I went three five and one. <laughs> Not not a great finish, but again, I was playing control when I was young and new to the competitive scene, so I can't be disappointed. Yeah, and one thing I want to point out though is that you were never afraid. You know, you 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 weren't afraid to get your feet wet and just go to these tournaments and play whatever deck that you thought that you were gonna be you know prepared with or whatever. I did that because when I was wanting to start playing in big tournaments, I asked you like how I can get better, and you just said. Go to big tournaments, expect to lose, learn. 
Yeah. And so yeah. I remember that conversation. Yeah. yeah. You because I remember there was a little bit of hesitation about you know like I I, I want to go to this Grand Prix but I know that I'm not going to do well and I'm right. I'm worried about not doing well. And I think the advice I gave you is that well you're right you're not going to do well you know you just have to you have to get your feet wet you have to try and just develop that familiarity with both the tournament scene in particular you know you got to be able to play competitive magic interact with judges all that stuff you have to be able to get that experience and you just gotta you know you just gotta play magic at a, at a higher level and, it, and it, this doesn't really matter how old you are just anybody who wants to get into the competitive scene and start playing in tournaments and getting better the reality is that you're just gonna lose a bunch uh, there's just there's kind of like no sh- shortcut through that you're just gonna have to experience that and and I think Rio's proven that, you know, despite after losing a bunch, you just you get better through all of that experience. And um, eventually you'll be at a place where you can, you know, give a tournament a real shot. Yeah. Right. So after that tournament, I knew that I was in control. Like, it was a great experience for me. I think it was great for my learning curve. Um, but I was I was ready to play a deck that I felt like I could do well with. So I looked at the top eight of Grand Prix Indianapolis, the event that I had gone to. So the, the deck that won was Burn. I didn't want Burn. I can't remember why at the time. But the second place deck was Titan Breach. And I looked at the deck. I was like, all right, it's kind of cheap. Looks really fun. I looked around, and it was doing pretty well. And I was like, I want this deck. So then I spent a while trying to decide the list. Uh, I was trying to decide if I should run the Simeon Spirit Guide list. Uh, I had a conversation with you, and basically you told me to be the most proactive in the meta that I could. So I I opted to run that list, and I ran it for another, like, five months, about. And, like, I had a lot of fun with it. So after that, Death Shadow became a thing, and I kept losing to it. I kept losing to Collins. (laughs) Um, I got kind of (laughs) salty, so I decided to build Burn. I built Burn for the open because I felt like Breach wasn't uh, well positioned. I played it, I top 32 and since I've just, I've basically been feeling comfortable with playing Burn and that's what I've been playing. I think that you've definitely had a lot of good results and Burn was just kind of like a deck that ended up fitting your kind of comfort level. I think that everybody is kind of always searching for that deck in Modern where you know, they try out a bunch of things, but then they, they finally kind of stumble upon something that is either, you know, really well positioned, so they have success with it, or just kind of like fits their fits their style of play. I think that that's not something that anybody should ignore, is that like, everybody's got a little bit of, you know, inherent biases on how they play magic. Um, I certainly know I do. I like to turn creatures sideways, so, <laughs> so if you can find the deck that kind of like, you know, fits in with that, it's, uh, it's a good place to be. If you look at the decks I've played recently since Control, basically they've all been decks that will give me time to get lunch. I only play <laughs> decks that are fast, win in like 30 minutes or lose in 30 minutes. Right. No matter what, I'm just going to have time after my rounds. Because at the GP, I never had time to just relax in between rounds. I always was going like five minutes before the next round or into time or something like that. And I just really wanted a deck that I could win fast with. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's a real thing. Like in a long tournament, if most of your rounds are like getting close to time, like not only is that a lot of time spent playing, but there's a certain amount of stress in like trying to avoid the draw in all of the rounds that are getting close to it. And just if you're, you know, all thing all of the things being equal, you know, take the deck that you're not going to have to work as hard for. I think it was kind of a miracle that I had one draw in my two Grand Prix of playing Control. I was happy about that, but it was still, it was a pretty big grind. Yeah, definitely. Let's, uh, I think that we can kind of transition over to the the Invitational itself. Um, yeah. Why don't you tell us about kind of like your preparation for that tournament and what, you know, what you're thinking about when deciding what to play. Yeah, so I didn't honestly get to prepare a lot for the tournament. I was on a couple vacations and uh, it's kind of hard to prepare on vacations because I don't really like MTGO. I'm going to have to play it more now, but mm-hmm. I've never liked it. And so my other option was to play like uh, free websites like Untap, um, where I can play whatever deck I want. But they're also just really painful to play. Yeah. yeah so yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I had basically my decision making process was 
I feel comfortable with Burn. I don't really want to play Titan Shift. So Modern was done really fast. So I was just like, all right, I'll play Burn. I know yeah. how to play it. Yeah, I mean, um, if you got a if you got a deck that you want to that you are experienced with, then that's just yeah, your felt, choice for sure. I felt like it wasn't badly positioned. I don't think it was the best deck, but I think it was decent. Mm-hmm. So I, I was just gonna play play what I feel best with. Uh, then Standard last season, I had most of the cards from Red. I just needed like two Hazarets, and there were five dollars at the time. So. I bought the Hazards, and ever since, I'm just the only standard deck I've played is Mono Red, just because every season it's just been like a couple more cards that you need to add. So uh, I had most of it. I tested with it like at the Baltimore Open more recently. It was a team open. My standard teammate was on Big Red, and so at first I was very much opposed to that. I thought that playing a deck, a red deck, without four Hazards was a crime. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, eventually, though, like we we talked about it, we thought through it. We didn't like Hazaret in a lot of the matchups, um, just because it was like Vraska's Contempt was being played a lot. There were like you're gonna get into control matchups. They always had the counter spell for it, and in Teamer, we we were getting main deck cooed, and yeah. it felt really yeah. bad. So we eventually just cut all the Hazarets in the main. We played a couple in the board, uh, just for the matchups that you did want them. Like they're good in the mirror. They can block another Hazaret, worst case scenario. Right, right. Uh, they're good against control, even though they do have answers. Like if they don't have, like, they're forced to use their answers on that card. It's good to just have a lot of threats that they need to answer in the matchup. So we would bring it in against, like, control and red. But we didn't like it in the main, just because we thought there was going to be a lot of energy. We just kept getting cooed, and it wasn't, and, like, if we just ran Glorybringers and Chandra's, then sure, we are going to get cooed still. But it wasn't, like, it, we had more game-breaking cards than just, like, the four Hazarets in the main deck. So it wasn't as bad. We didn't run the four Glorybringers in the main. We ran three Glorybringers in the main. After that, we, we regretted it. We thought Glorybringer was the best card in the deck. So we, uh, we played with that. And basically, that event was my testing for the Invitational. Nice. Because it was close enough to the Invitational that the meta hadn't changed. It was still Teamer, Red, a little bit of Control, a little bit of other stuff. Um, right. For Standard, I basically bought the cards in the few days before the tournament. Uh, I tested with them a little bit online, and then I just went to the tournament feeling semi-prepared. Not really, but... I mean, I stood well in standard, so can't say I'm unhappy with my testing. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that you just kind of, like, settled on, you know, your comfortable deck in modern, and then, you know, did a little bit of metagaming in standard, but it essentially stuck to a deck that you played with before and just kind of, like, tuned it a little bit for the metagame. Which is, you know, really just fundamental to tournament success in general. Especially invitationals, it it may have like seemed minimal, but you were you were thinking about the right things, and you you definitely you know at definitely the, doing that. At the time, I definitely felt like energy was the best deck. After I played with red, though, my uh, first opinion was tested just because red was playing really well for me, and I obviously didn't want to pick up teamer because it's a hard deck to play. I would have to find somebody to borrow it from, and I didn't. I wasn't I wasn't going to be a confident teamer player, so I didn't want to play teamer mirrors all day. So like, even though I felt like teamer was the best deck, I just wasn't obviously wasn't going to try to pick it up that fast. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's definitely a lot to teamer and like preparing for like teamer mirrors and what your plan is going to be there, and then like your plans and a bunch of other matchups. It's right. just really involved, and you know it's it's definitely a deck where you have to figure out what, what kind of plan you want in particular matchups, and it could be one or the other. But Red red definitely has, like, the built-in plans of... You, I, I think that your deck was definitely more oriented towards finding your own plan because some of the some of the matchups, you're going to be more of a control deck, right? Right. Yeah, I think that Red red is gives you an easier time on right. that one, like, for sure. In, in the Red Mirror, I play... I'm, I'm the control deck. I play removal spells until I cast a Glorybringer and try to run away, run away with the game. I have four Soulscar Mages to answer the Hazrets. As you saw, like in top eight, I just the my hands did not line up against four two, four turn four hazards and right yeah that that plan didn't work out in the matchup. But before that, I had been six and zero against Monterey, and I had been on the draw in five of those games, not matches six and zero in matches six and zero in games, and I had been on the draw in five of the games. So yeah yeah. 
So so does that matchup really just come down to if they have Hazaret and if you don't have an answer to it? Like that's that's the main determiner of that that can make you lose those games. Yeah, it, the one game I won out of those four games is the one where I had Soul Scrimmage into cut for their yep. Hazaret. Other than that, I my Soul Scrimmages died or I didn't draw them, and the Hazaret I just didn't answer it, and they were already ahead going into that point. I just couldn't couldn't fight back through that. Right. I'm assuming some of the games you can like you know if you're the aggressor in that game, then you can probably put the pressure on, and then they. Have to leave Hazard back to back, yeah. block, and then Glorybringers can close it out. I've like I've been I've got them to like twelve, and I was at sixteen. They drop a Hazard. I've more creatures on board, so I chump it a few turns. I drop a Glorybringer, and then I close out the game with a Glorybringer. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it definitely seems like Hazard's kind of that problem card, especially game one where you don't, you just don't have your own answer, which is tough. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the main reasons I ran for Soul Scar Mages mm-hmm. um, in the main, just because. It's very yeah. important in the red mirror. Right, definitely. So right, so you you kind of had a, an excellent result here in in this tournament, but you know what's what's the plan from here? You know you've got your top eight invitational result. It's a big stepping stone. Uh, you know what's what's kind of the next what's the, what's the next step for you in Magic? All right, so it starts out with the fact that I won three grand. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be what my plans are based on. So I'm already qualified for the next invitational. I don't like grinding PBDQs and grand prix. I haven't cashed at a Grand Prix yet. I just I don't like Grand Prix. They they've never really been the same for me as SCG events. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I'm gonna buy a Legacy deck. I'm gonna buy. <laughs> it's gonna be my first Legacy deck ever. I'm buying Blue Red Delver in real life and online. Okay. Um, just so I can get good at Legacy because Legacy is my favorite format. I've wanted to play it for a while. I just haven't had the money to. But now I have a chance to play Legacy. So first thing is I'm gonna play all the Legacy events I can. Until the next Invitational, because I'm already yeah. qualified. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to uh, like save, put some of the money that I won just in a in a savings account. And so I feel like a big thing for me after this is to give something back to the Magic community, because my life for the past four, four to five years has been basically just corralled by magic being my favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give 10% of all my winnings for my next tournaments to a nonprofit I want to start. It's for kids in schools who wouldn't otherwise have access to magic. I want to bring magic to them. I want to teach them magic. I want to give them cards to start playing magic. I'm going to make videos that they can learn from. I'll organize with schools when I go to tournaments to go there and like give them a first a first journey into magic for a day like a day before the tournament then they'll have the videos that I make and they can watch and then they can contact me to ask me questions if they have anything that they they don't know or want to know then they can contact me there and like my my best friend Quinn Kiefer also said that he was very into that the problem is he lives in Colorado so he'll be able to like teach the classes, but he'll definitely help with the the logistics of it and help with the videos. So I'm pretty excited to start start that. Yeah, I mean that sounds like an an awesome idea. And you said you have like a bunch of cards or stuff that you like. I think every Magic player does have yeah. just like a bunch of cards free, that the they're free not box using. Cards. Yeah, um, I, I sorted sorted all my cards into cards that I might once play with in a right. weird modern format. Right. Um, right. But basically, like, I still have a lot of cards from revised to the newest sets that I'm not going to use. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you're just going to kind of bring those to, like, the schools yeah. and kind of, like, in whatever city the tournament's in and yeah. stuff? Yeah. Yeah, um, that sounds so like an awesome like, idea. I'll, the, the first time I, like, go to them, I'll give them the intro, teach them, like, what the different cards do, uh, teach them the, the basics of playing the game. Uh, get them playing basics, like watch over them, have them ask me any like beginning questions that they need to ask me. And then once they're done with that, if they want to keep playing, I'll have videos online that they can watch and ask me questions. So I'm really excited for it. I think it's a good thing to do for the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like an awesome idea for sure. Yeah, and kids trust other kids a lot more than they trust you know adults trying to like get them to to try something out so I, I like <laughs> yeah more effective at that than most people right. would yeah you yeah. know if a kid is seeing another kid like his age or whatever who's shown him this cool thing that might be interesting it sounds like a, a 
you know, definitely be more interested from my perspective, for sure. Yeah, like me trying to sell magic is like, you'll learn all these new words and it makes your <laughs> basic math skills better. Like, basic math skills. Yeah. 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 I mean, I know, sure. I, like, I know a bunch of adults that like attack with a three power creature and a five power creature and say, all right, take nine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe that they'll get you an extra point on your math quiz. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, and just, like, the critical thinking that comes with playing Magic is not something to be overlooked. I think that it it definitely does a lot for you, for sure. My dad has a work colleague who went to business school, and he says that playing Magic taught him probably more strategic thinking than any of, like, his his college classes or anything like that. I don't doubt it. It's it's such a good thing, especially for kids to do. It's like, it just sets good foundations for their brain. Well, I think it's awesome that you're kind of taking the initiative to give back to the community and and start something that uh, I think will probably make a difference. Yeah. I think the thing that magic has taught me the most, like in my real life, like I'm I'm sure there's lots of like basic strategy stuff and words and math and that sort of thing. But honestly, like having a thing that you can lose at all the time, whether it's to variance or your own mistakes and you just have to walk away and recover from that. Like Mm -hmm. you don't like lose that much in real life. So then when you do, it really stings but I'm used to it, so yeah, when, when things right. kind of go wrong in real life, I think it sort of teaches you to accept that a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. that's a big thing for sure. Um, well, yeah, that's awesome. So, um, so you're are you planning on kind of like uh, staying on the Star City circuit and kind of like going to like what's your plan for the next season coming up? Yeah, I'm not gonna play like IQs obviously. But I'm going to stay on the SCG circuit just because... Try to hit I the lo- opens and everything. Yeah, I love SCG events. They're, like, they're small. They're not impossible to cash at, like I feel about GPs. Right. They're, all the players on them, I just they're really nice. I have a lot of friends that are on the circuit now, so mm-hmm. it's pretty great. I, I love SCG events, and I'll definitely stay on the circuit. Awesome. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to continuing that as well, so I'm sure I'll see you there. <laughs> How do you pull that off as a, and I mean, I, I kind of know the answer to this, but like, how do you pull that off as a 13 year old managing to go to all of the opens? Cause they're not, you know, a lot of them aren't super close by, you know, I know, I know you've got some like family support, but do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. A big part of it is that I homeschool. So like mm-hmm. I, I can get my, my main classes this semester that I have a lot of homework for it's ELA on Tuesdays and physics on Fridays. I just, so if I do all my homework between Tuesday and Friday for ELA, then I, I'm done, or maybe I'll keep a little for Monday when I get home. Then I can get all my homework done, and I have no schoolwork for the weekend, because physics homework usually doesn't take me very long. I'll get it done basically any time after I get home from the tournament. And then once I get to the tournament, I have just, I have two free days without any schoolwork. And so a, another big part of it is that my dad, uh, Zemo, takes a lot of time to bring me to the tournaments. He like helps pay pay for the hotels, pays helps pay for all the like just extra costs. He pays for the food. So he's just such a big thing for me going to tournaments having a dad who's willing to do that, who's like great at doing that and really supportive. He's one of the most important things for me when I go to tournaments like he's a family member that I can talk to and that I can feel comfortable around and it's really just huge for me to have a dad that's that supportive and that loving and caring yeah and you know one thing just kind of like from the outside looking in is something I'm so it's just so uplifting to see at every tournament is you guys coming in and you know the support that your dad has for you is just really incredible and and something that I really appreciate, you know, from him. And it's just good to see kind of happening. Yeah, sure. totally. Yeah, I, it, it's really cool. Like half most of the time I'll, when I go to an open, like I'll see you guys hanging out at some spot in the hall. And like, like Zemo's usually not playing in the tournament, but he'll call me over and he'll have snacks and offer me snacks and I'll just hang out for a little bit. And it's just yeah. this like yeah. peaceful little moment with, with people from back home. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my dad likes to play. I mean, he likes the game. The problem is, like, the game is a huge time commit, so he's he's a working father, so he doesn't have enough time to really commit to the game. I mean, he's a great strategy game player in other games. He just doesn't have enough to commit the time, 
to playing magic and getting good at magic but when he has a chance he, he still loves to loves to play it opens yeah i mean i i see him like kind of like playing side events and drafting all the time so yeah, recently he's decided that like he wants to play more limited because he feels like that's a more reachable goal to get really good at limited yeah 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 for sure definitely yeah i definitely never had anything quite like that when i was playing magic when i was younger so i i while I'm a yep, little bit jealous sure. of you, I'm mostly, I, I think it's really cool. I'm really glad that, that you got that. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, from, from everybody else's perspective, Rio's, you know, Rio's got, got places to go in, in this game. So um, <laughs> I'm just kind of, you know, taking a back seat now and, <laughs> and, and watching, see how far he can take it. So I'm excited. Yeah. Like this semester, I'm still pretty busy, but my classes are mostly just advanced, so next semester, or not next semester, but like next school year, I'm planning to like take a break from school. Uh, I'll do like coding, cause that's something I really wanna do, just don't have time for, and I can do it pretty easily. I'll still do like math, cause I wanna get into more advanced math classes when I go to like middle college and stuff like that. But I, I feel like the most important thing for me is to just keep playing Magic. I think it's a great thing in so many ways for me. It's good for my brain. It's good for like my self-esteem. It's just a great thing for me. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try to take a semester or semester or two off from next school year to just go to as many opens as I can, try to maybe like get buys or something, um, and just just have a great time for a semester playing Magic. Yeah. I mean, you're off to a good start. The the top eight of the invitational gives you a lot of points there, so I think that uh, you know another another decent finish will definitely put you in the buys category. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. And one of my goals for the next couple seasons is to top eight and open because like top eight IQ, I've top eight a classic, I've top eight the invitational, but there's a step <laughs> missing in there, and just want to top eight and open just to yeah. be like, all right, I've done all of those now. Yeah, you know, and you know, just the the more opens you go to, the more shots you'll have, so. You know, it's just kind of what that is. Yeah, totally. Like, right deck at the right time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And, Collins, that's kind of how you got into the spot you're in now, is you, like, spiked the Invitational, and that was enough oh, yeah. that the next season you were able to get into having buys, and then that, that really helps out. I, I mean... Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Invitational that I top-aided was definitely kind of, like, uh, a, a huge platform for me to step into having buys and being able to go to a bunch of events and just kind of like culminate results from there so definitely a good place to start um so i mean the invitational itself i on the one hand it's just modern and then the same standard we've been doing so there's not a ton to talk about um mm-hmm. but a couple of a couple of things i mean you guys were there so you know better than i do but from <laughs> what i saw from from the coverage i mean i think we really are like knee deep in the energy format and I think the thing oh, yeah. that really puts the, you know, puts the the pin in that. If you got a top eight with Sam Black, Gerard Fabiano, and Ellie Cassis, and they're all playing Teamer or Four Color Energy, like those guys would be playing something else if they could, and they clearly just felt that yeah. they could not. Yeah, these are these are a bunch of uh, you know Magic's best brewers, right? Right. So yeah. you know we've got Sam Black, Ellie Cassis, and Gerard Fabiano who all play, you know, kind of crazy decks a lot of the time, but they were all just playing pretty stock lists of teamer or teamer black Gerard did have a nickel blast in his main but still yeah gotta spice it up a little bit yeah <laughs> if you yeah. look at the top eight like there was me on big red austin collins on little red and then the rest of it were just four color or teamer energy build and yeah yeah it's i think that it's it's another time for wizards to say we want to shake it up like i don't think the format's bad i think the games are fun but I still think that if you have a standard format that's going to be the same deck, multiple variants of it through a long period of time, I think that it's time to like say, all right, we're going to ban Rogue Refiner, uh, just to shake up the format a little. I mean, I don't know if that's the right decision, but that's definitely what I want to see in the standard format, just mm-hmm. to like see something happen. Just yeah. So it's not Teamer Mirrors and then like a little bit of other deck. Yeah. Yeah, I think part of the problem with the standard format is that it's just it's existed in this form for so long. Like it's it's the it's kind of like the the fall winter set that kind of like takes a while to change. So Ixalan's been out for a long time, and nothing's really been shifting around since that came out. And I think that that if if that's the case, then the format's just gonna get stale. It doesn't really matter what's in the format. 
It doesn't help that Teamer Energy is just kind of an insanely good, resilient strategy. You know, I mean, I talked about this, but I, I kind of spent all, it felt like all season trying to beat Teamer. Right. And I just couldn't ever do it. So I, I, I also just kind of like finally folded and registered a Teamer deck for the Invitational. I, I played Big Red mostly because I liked the Teamer matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people were surprised when I said that. They were like, how do you win if you go big? And I, I just, basically I win by playing a Glorybringer on turn five mm-hmm. and just running over yep. the game. I chumped their Bristling Hydras and I tried to grind it out with like a Chandra, a Ramanap Ruins, and a Glorybringer. And I, I liked the matchup. I was 3-0 and against energy builds and the Invitational, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the format isn't 100% bad in every way. Like, like there's a couple of things that make up a good format, and one of those things is good games. And a lot yeah, of these yeah, games yeah. are really intricate, fun games. Like, every matchup read against Teamer, like, there's a bunch of important decisions that get made that, that can be make or break. Right. Um, I think where we're running into a big problem is a huge part of the fun of Magic is in brewing, and yeah. it's turning out... We're just kind of missing that spot at the moment. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the games that are played right now are... Like, the Teamer Mirrors are really in-depth, and you have the ability to kind of level your opponent, depending on, you know, whether or not you want to keep in Long Test Cubs on the play and try to get your opponent, or if you just want to go super grindy, like Jun style, with a bunch of Vizier of many faces. You know, there's there's a lot of room for flexibility within the confines of Teamer Mirrors, mm-hmm. but... You know, that's really just only one kind of one aspect of magic and isn't going to appeal to a lot of people. Like, like I said, I don't think the format's bad at all. I just think it's very repetitive, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's the best place you can be for a standard format. Right. I think that mostly I'm just kind of looking forward to the next set coming out. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm, if, I doubt that it's going to shake up the format enough to make energy a bad deck, but hopefully right. it'll shake up the format enough to have another deck emerge and be able to beat energy. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next set we we get some really pushed cards, just so that we've got a little more variety. I think that Wizards is aware of what's going on, and I think that they might put out some cards that really kind of like push a new archetype. I mean, they tried with Solemnity in Amonkhet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I really wanted that card to be good. Uh-huh. I mean, people tried it. I, I definitely played against it a couple times, just kind of like through my testing and everything. But the problem was that, you know, it's coming down on turn three, it... You know, you, you no, have, like, five energy that you're like, okay, I can just use this five energy for what I need over the course right. of the rest of the game. And if they're if they're paying three mana for no no added board state value, then Teamer still can just play a three mana, three two that draws a card, and a four right. mana, four three that can pay three mana to give it, pay three of your energy that you still have to give right. it hexproof and a counter. It's just, the deck's still resilient to the card. It's a problem. Yeah. And the I guess the other problem though is that the 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 pushed cards can't really afford to be in teamer or black a little bit or it has to right. be like heavier black so which is pretty limiting but I don't know we'll we'll kind of see what they what they do with it yeah well and they do have kind of an obvious route that they could have gone down is that if some of the powerful push cards are tribal oriented cards then they wouldn't fit into the teamer shell and, and that deck wouldn't gain anything from them that's fair yeah. Yeah. So like i think some of the things about uh having more tribal cards is it uh if you look at ixalan dinosaurs was definitely pushed there were a lot of strong cards so uh, i don't think that we're going to get a lot of strong cards for like dinosaurs but if you look at merfolk there wasn't ever like a deck that you could try to run in Merfolk, right, so we might see a cards. couple more strong Merfolk cards. Like past uh, the two cards that are now played in blue, green, Merfolk, and modern, we don't really see any Merfolk cards that are good enough to be played in a deck. So we might see some good Merfolk cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already saw Silvergirl adept getting a reprint. Yeah, has been yes, that is, that is true. So that that's a pretty big thing for Merfolk. Maybe we can get a couple Lords. We have like a, <laughs> <laughs> a decent-ish yeah. deck in standard, but. Still, we have Vampires, which was almost a deck, uh, just couldn't quite get there. Mm-hmm. Um, we might more of, see... a, more of a, a White Monument deck than anything else. Yeah, uh, we might see like a couple more good cards for, for Vampires and maybe be able to push the Tribe a little more. Because um, Tribe aspects are really good in Modern, but that's because you just have so many cards that you can use. Uh, 
Right. So I'm excited to see if the tribes get pushed, but if I think if we see a tribe get pushed, I, I'm really thinking it's going to be Merfolk. I, I think that it'd be great if we have a Merfolk deck in Standard, because that'd be really sweet, and we didn't really see anything for it in uh, Ixalan itself, other than the two green cards, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely could be a route. I mean, the only problem with, you know, pushing tribal strategies is then once we've rotated out Amonkhet and Kaladesh, like, what happens if we have these sort of insular tribal decks then hanging over standard and doing a similar thing to what Teamer is doing right now? I mean, right. probably yeah. not going to happen, but if it's powerful enough to compete with Teamer, then that's, you know, one of the dangers, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, like, the concern there is that you just kind of, like, create some sort of snowballing effect of power level in standard where it's just going to get more and more and more powerful if you can like half if you are forcing yourself in a position where you have to make sets powerful enough to compete with the previous set over and over and over again and that's that's kind of the opposite of the problem like the reason one of the reasons that it feels so stale to be playing with Teamer is it's not just this season that we've been playing with Teamer. It's been right. a good deck for a long time, and yeah. Ixalan is powered down compared to, to Kaladesh and Aether Revolt. Um, and I think it's a process of recognizing that Standard was getting a little bit too mana efficient and stuff, and, and so they're powering it down. But while we're in that transition period, adding new sets doesn't do a lot to impact the strength of the old decks, and we just lose the ones that have their cards rotate out. And so I think that's part of the problem, is just we've been playing Teamer Energy for like a year now. Right, uh, yeah, it's a long and, time and it's, to have a one deck. Yeah. So I, I have like an option. It's a kind of fun one, but it's still like an alternate thing that wizards can do to banning something from a couple decks because banning doesn't always work out what if we tried playing block constructed again Ooh. because like we haven't seen that in a really long time and i think that the odds that it turns out to be a healthy format is still low but if we have a few block constructed events we might see like standard um, like the fact that standards repetitive might not be as bad if we have a mix of events that are like some are standard and some are block constructed because then we still have something interesting to play. Yeah, and uh, I think that you know that that is an interesting solution because one of the reasons why we're in this kind of like weird wobbly standard format where you know Wizards is still trying to like get a hold of it and figure out how to best create the format is because we we went through this weird phase of them like switching up the the rotations of the formats because it, it felt like it's it's changed like every year right they've announced a like okay s- standards changing now we're gonna rotate less frequently or more frequently or okay now we're back to what we started with right like two sets two, two right. set box and now yeah. we're back to three set blocks with a core set yeah, so... Well, and, but like, now we're going into no blocks at all. Or, right. Or at least, like, really nebulously defined blocks. Which right, is, right. you know, the the obvious problem with the block-constructed thing, which I would love to have back. Like, I'd, I'd love... Once Rivals comes out, it would be cool to play Ixalan block-constructed. But yeah. then after that, yeah. we might not even have a block for a while. Uh-huh. Um, right, but kind of, like, Rio's solution would... If you just, like, say, okay, we need to, like, figure out a system that we want to end up on for standard... While we're waiting for like that time period where we can just like get there, then let's play some block constructed. You know, while yeah, gotcha. Uh, while we while while we're waiting on standard to like kind of fix itself, and then maybe we start off sense. with block constructed, and then it's like two set, and then three set, and then we go from there. That could be like an interesting solution. Or everyone can find the money to buy a legacy deck, and we can all just play legacy. <laughs> oh man, Rio's got big Ooh. dreams. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a run on a run on volcanic islands and wastelands then. <laughs> yeah, it's like take them <laughs> off the like make a legacy masters where you have all the cards on the reserved list. And just like eh, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish we could do that, but I think that unfortunately the solution there has been cutting down on legacy events a little bit instead, yeah. which yeah. is unfortunate because. You know, I love playing Legacy. But the good news for you, you, Rio, is that we've got a a pretty good Legacy scene here locally. Yeah, I'm Um, I'm so excited. Like, for a few months, um, my friend Josh has been playing Legacy events because, like, he decided that Legacy was his favorite format. And at first I didn't understand him, and I was still trying to play as competitively as I could. But now that, like, 
I, I have a season where I can try to relax a little on playing competitively. Yeah. Um, before I like, go on a big run next next season, uh, I'm really excited to like try just playing Legacy for a few months and mm-hmm. see how fun it actually is. Like, cause to play it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and um, we're we're kind of like a lucky scene here. Like we've got a lot of history with Legacy. Some some like like extremely good named Legacy players have actually come out of our local area. The Braverman brothers, Michael Braverman and Philip Braverman, are local to here. Dylan Donigan is local to here. The Miller brothers, which you they haven't been playing a lot recently, but if you're like an old school Legacy player, you're you're gonna recognize those names. We've got we've got like some really good. Uh, David Corson was a you know a huge figurehead in our legacy scene for a long time. So you know we've still kind of like got some some good legacy scene here, which is I've 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 heard becoming more and more rare, unfortunately, just kind of like in the country. But you know we we've still got it here, which is a good good thing for us. Rio, I feel like you've got some voice of the people takes on this episode. We've got get rid of the reserve list, ban rogue refiner. Anything else you want to advocate for while we while we give you this little platform we've got? Because I, you know, I'm with you so far. <laughs> <laughs> More legacy. <laughs> yeah, basically, like, I mean, I I don't. I mean, I'm still like figuring out how to say say what I believe in like ways that make sense. Those are some pretty big things I've said. Like, play block constructed, get rid of the reserve list, and ban rogue refiner. But like, I, I don't think I have anything else to say other than that. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I think that's plenty though. For sure. Yeah. And, I, I, and I'm so. not. I'm not. I'm not trying to call you out on that or anything. Like I yeah, actually I like agree with those more strongly than I have arguments against them. Um, so I, I <laughs> yeah. totally respect taking a strong position on those things. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, just kind of like talking a little bit more about the weekend. I do want to give a shout out to Lucas Michaels for his first yeah, open yeah, topic sure. this past weekend. Congratulations to him. He played Modern Dredge and just kind of uh, rolled the Swiss at that tournament, it felt like, and uh, ended up with a top four in the Open, so congrats to him. Yeah, right after we said, eh, maybe not Dredge this weekend, I think we yeah, were figuring yeah. that out. So. I mean, I was actually talking to Lucas on the weekend, and, and he, he told me that he had listened to our last episode, and he was like, I, I heard you saying that you kind of like had faith in the Magic community, that they'd bring, bring some Dredge hate because it's going to be really well positioned, but I think that's just crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> he just decided to play Dredge, and honestly, I think he was probably right. And, you know, playing Dredge looked like still a very, very good choice for that weekend. You know, I think that people's idea of adding in a little bit of dredge hate was like, you know, a graph digger's cage or not really what you need to really, really put the nail in the coffin right, of dredge. Yeah. I'm excited that dredge is making resurgence because that's one of the decks I have online. And it's another of my favorite modern decks to play. Just mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, same same plan a lot, but it's really fun to just mill five cards and get 10 power off of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that that's what lucas finally got there with because he usually plays affinity i think he played that or i guess he played humans like coco humans in one of the opens but he he's you know usually an affinity player which is a very sort of like delicate deck with lots of very tight decisions like dredge certainly has its share of decisions but a lot of times it's just dump your deck into your graveyard and kill him with a bunch of dudes well, I so. think that there is one important skill set that kind of translates for both decks, and that mm-hmm. is being able to play through hate is honestly sure. just the hardest part of both decks. Game ones are, you know, relatively straightforward. You're probably just going to roll your opponent with more powerful stuff going on. Great. But, it, you know, in Affinity and Dredge, the, the challenge becomes, you know, getting a postboard game through whatever sort of hate that they've got access to. So I think that he's kind of like used to that like style a little bit so that that probably gave him a pretty good a, a, a good thing to rely a good skill set to rely on when playing dredge and i know that dredge he's played he's played dredge in legacy a little bit um so he he's like familiar with the interactions and the cards and stuff gotcha so. yeah i do remember one drive home from an open with lucas yeah um when he lost his win and in to valakut flashing white and just lost two games to Stony Silence. Oh, yeah, right. I remember that. He lost his winning into Becky Edelman, I think. Be- yeah, that's right. It was Becky Edelman, yeah. But yeah, splashing for Stony Silence was uh, definitely not something that he wanted to see. Yeah, like shooting right. paths. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. So so that, that ride home, there was a, there was a lot of um, 
Stony Sans jokes being made. <laughs> yes, yes. So classic. He's, he's no stranger to to two to one and a white mana enchantments that kill your whole deck. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else that we want to cover? I just want to say that like from another big thing about Magic for me is that just like I love playing Magic and Magic is just such a great thing for me. I'm so happy I get to play it. I love playing Magic. It's basically like the only thing I ever really want to do. <laughs> I love Magic. I'm so glad that I have such a great community here in the Triangle and just in general on the SCG Tour and even at Grand Prix. It's just such a great Magic community and I just wanted to say how much I love the game. I love the community and yeah. Shout outs to everybody, I guess. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And dude, Rio, we are super glad to to have you in the community. Like, especially like seeing you and your dad at Atomic or at tournaments, like honestly lights up my day and it it, it like couldn't make me happier. Definitely. Oh, thanks. I agree with that sentiment for sure. Cool. Yeah. I I think that's really all we need to cover today. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not really interested in going super in-depth in the formats right now because we don't really <laughs> have major tournaments for a, a month or so. Right, um, right, right. I think the next Grand Prix I'm going to is New Jersey, and that's going to be Ixalan Limited. So yeah, a little bit of that, but yeah, definitely not constructed for a minute. Yeah, I, I think I'm playing in a standard P- PPTQ this weekend, but I'm just going to put in some Magic Online work, and, and that'll be the end of that. Excellent, <laughs> excellent, yeah. Well, Rio, thanks for joining us. We were very happy to have you on. Definitely appreciate you you coming out here and, uh, you know, giving a new angle on our podcast, for sure. I, I had a blast. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me. It was a great time. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah, really appreciate it, man. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been the MTG Grindcast. If you want to check us out, you can find us on Twitter at at MTG underscore Grindcast. You can also find Collins at Collins Mullen on Twitter. Um, and Rio, how, I, I, I know you're just starting this, um, so maybe we'll just you know tweet about it a little bit, but is there any way that people can get in touch with you or anything um, for that nonprofit you're starting? I, I don't really know what you've got set up for that yet. Yeah, we're, we're probably gonna like make a Facebook page for it, um, but we'll try to have the, have it be like, public to the mtg community and have people learn about it so it's it's more supported but sure. yeah right now we we don't have much of a plan we're going to try to plan it in the next uh, few months and then when i start grinding the two or more then we'll we'll have more of a plan and we'll be able to tell people more about it but this is the first place i've said anything about it so i'm excited to get it out there and have some amount of people learn about it so. awesome yeah so i think the, the podcast will be definitely keeping up with that and Whenever you guys have any sort of, you know, thing that you want to share, we'll, we're definitely willing to share that on our, on our media for sure. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, for that. absolutely. It's going to mean a lot. Definitely. Yeah. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you next time. Until next time. Later. Bye, guys.